Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Tonight, Paolo Bancaro and the Orlando Magic came to town to take on our Cleveland Cavaliers. We already know Orlando came into tonight hot on the heels of a loss to the Brooklyn Nets, but winners of their uh, nine of their last 10 games overall. And make no mistake about it. They have been better than expected this season. You got to give them credit. All credit is due to that team. They entered tonight third in the East at 14 and six and will play the Cavaliers twice within a five day span. So we got to see this team again in just a couple of days. Cleveland, on the other hand, conversely, entered tonight all the way down at the eighth spot in the East at 11 and nine. And we're fresh off of barely making it out alive against the Detroit Pistons. So this game represented a pretty good opportunity for the Cavs to put together a solid effort from start to finish, which I felt like they did uh, against a pretty damn good opponent in the Orlando Magic. Now, I was expecting a low scoring affair than usual, considering that both Orlando and Cleveland boast a top 10 defensive rating. Orlando at third with a rating of 109.3 and Cleveland at eighth with 111.3. It wasn't totally a low-scoring affair, but we came away with a 121-111 victory at the end of it all. So I'm still feeling pretty pretty damn good. Cleveland held up their end of the bargain, right? They held Orlando to 8.7% from three-point distance. Yes, you heard that right. The Magic shot below 10% from distance. And, you know, they overall on the night, they shot 49% from the field. But for every run that Orlando went on, Cleveland seemed to have an answer. And you absolutely love that. And let's let's just dig in a little bit here, a little bit deeper. The Magic, as we all know, deploy one of the league's tallest starting lineups with no one below six foot five and three players standing at six ten. Look, we all know Cleveland has had its fair share of struggles with taller starting units. You guys like to talk about that all the time, Uh, you know, talking about the smallest backcourt and whatnot. And it comes with the territory, right? When starting in an undersized backcourt, in an undersized small forward, or at least what is typically considered an undersized small forward in Max Struess, who doesn't necessarily play that way. Uh, But tonight, we ain't really seem to have that big of an issue with it. They attacked Orlando off the dribble. They pulled up on them. They got out in transition. And the best part about all of that is it started with the backcourt, right? Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland combined for 61 total points tonight. Donovan himself dropped 15 in the first quarter alone and would finish tonight with 35 huge points. It, and In my opinion, it's safe to say that the shot is back. Prior to tonight's victory, Donovan had completed just eight of his 36 total triples over his last five games. That's just 22.2%, y'all. That cannot be discounted at all. The shot is back. Tonight, he would shoot five of 10 from the three-point line uh, and taking some of those shots that we have become accustomed to over this last season or so, right? Just kind of walking it up, pulling up, doesn't matter who's in front of them, just feeling confident and letting it fly. And more often than not, it was cash money tonight. You absolutely loved him getting back, uh, getting back in the swing of things. And when that guy is on, good luck beating the Cavs. Uh, It wasn't just his scoring that was present, though. Mitchell was throwing some dimes out there, especially to the bigs. And I think that's been one of the biggest complaints about Donovan Mitchell's time here is like, 
Donovan not looking to get his teammates involved, which to me is a little bit overblown because I honestly do feel like Donovan does look to move the ball. It may not be DG level. He's not an elite playmaker, but he's certainly above average. Love it. Absolutely love it. Donovan Mitchell, when that dude is on, like I said, not too many teams can beat the Cavs. Um, you know, and it should be noted that this big game for him ain't exactly coming against a bad team, right? It, it's it's Orlando. They're third in the East right now and, again, had won nine of their last 10 games. They are pretty damn good. Uh, you know, as the, as Dr. Claw 77 says down here, that first half was nuts. We're shooting from three, not the Cavs I've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah, we we have not seen that. We have not seen that tonight. Uh, Tom K says, DG looking like DG. Yeah, we're going to get to him. No fucking turnovers. Well, well, if you count the eight-second violation, but it didn't go on him, so we won't count it. Bleacher Report didn't count it, so I'm not I'm not going to give it to him. If Bleacher Report's not giving it to him, damn it, I'm not giving it to him. So no turnovers for DG on the night. That hasn't happened in quite some time. And again, speaking of Darius Garland, his ability to calmly and decisively dissect Orlando's defense was crucial tonight. It was critical because Orlando, again, they are a very highly, uh, a very highly rated defense out there. They For a, a solid portion of this still very young season, Orlando occupied that number one spot in terms of defensive rating and they're third right now as i mentioned before they're pretty damn uh put together from a defensive standpoint but darius was able to dissect them like you used to do in high school right you used to dissect some of the mammals whether it be a frog you know something like that i'm uh, sorry if i brought up any painful memories i know i had some <laughs> uh he was much more careful uh with the ball uh, and we didn't see many again, we didn't see any of the head scratching turnovers that we've seen to him committing lately. He was very, very effective with that basketball tonight. And we all know that when he's playing well, you know, it's not just Donovan Mitchell. When Darius Garland is playing well, the Cavs as a whole tend to kind of follow suit. And that's exactly what happened tonight. That's exactly what happened. He came into tonight averaging 4.3 turnovers per game and outside again of that eight second violation, which I believe was was counted as a team turnover rather than a play uh, player turnover. DG had zero in the first half and zero all game, right? That's something that you absolutely love to see, especially considering that he's he's started the season turning the ball over at an alarming rate. So him taking care of that basketball and not making some of those questionable decisions, uh, you know, whilst also doing a little bit of everything else out there, that's usually going to lead to the Cavs having a shot to win, if not winning the game altogether. The Magic, let's talk about them for just a second. They missed their first 12 threes. And again, Again, they shot below 10%, but they missed their first 12 altogether. They didn't make their first three until around the seven-minute mark in the third quarter. And it's not like they attempt many per game. I do feel the need to clarify that. Orlando only attempts 30 a night, which is 28th out of the 30 NBA teams. They And they're actually ranked higher in three-point percentage uh, at 35.4%. Uh, than the Cavs, uh, but again, just finished two of 23 from distance on the night. 8.7%. You will, you absolutely love that. You you live with that nine times out of 10. Uh, that's got to be some kind of record this season. I, I, don't, I don't know what the – I need to go back and check, but I, I can really honestly feel like that might be the lowest three-point percentage the Cavs have held a team to all season. 
And tonight, you know, prior to tonight, Orlando came into the game ranked second in second chance points, scoring 17.2 points per game that way. And, you know, for me, the funny part when I was doing a little bit of research on this is that they actually when you hear that, like when you hear the fact that they rank second in second chance points, you would think that they grab an absurd amount of offensive rebounds. But that isn't necessarily the case. They rank 11th in offensive rebounds. Uh, rebounds which again that that seems crazy to me i they must be scoring very efficiently when they do get those second chance opportunities when they do get those uh when they do get those offensive rebounds they must be putting them back at a very high rate uh conversely cleveland man we we shot the lights out tonight uh going 14 to 34 from range that is 41.2 percent and everybody got involved man from uh, from Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to Max Struess, who, again, we'll talk about in just a minute, and George Nia, man, and even throw Dean Wade in there. It's so fucking good to have Dean Wade back because playing a team like the Magic, who are tall out there, uh, you know, <clears throat> you need bigger bodies out there, especially when you're talking about the, the fact that Cleveland de- uh, employs such a small backcourt, such an undersized small forward and Max Struess to be able to throw another big body out there in Dean Wade. That's absolutely helpful. Dean in his 14 minutes, he came back and gave eight points and five rebounds and was two of five from deep. Uh, Tom K says down here, tell me again how Dean Wade does not contribute, need his size and rebounding and occasional three point makes. Couldn't agree. Uh, couldn't agree more. You know, Tom, I know we've been, in agreement about this for a long time in regards to Dean Wade Um, for the people who want him like benched or don't understand necessarily the value of what he brings to the table in some regards, it's like Isaac Okoro, right? Like some of what he provides is not going to be sexy out there, right? It's not going to be high point totals. It's not going to be a high amount of three point makes. It's going to be the defense. It's going to be the rebounding. It is going to be the occasional three. That's what Dean Wade does for you, and he does it at a position that is pretty vital to have in that 3-4 spot, especially off the bench for the Cavs. Uh, that's basically what it boils down to, and having him out there in a matchup specifically against a taller team, that's where you can really truly see his value at, right? This is the type of matchup where JB kind of had to go to Dean, especially considering that he's healthy now. You want to put him out there, especially when you don't have the likes of Karis LeVert uh, healthy right now. So you need a bigger body out there, a guy capable of not only rebounding the basketball, but playing some pretty damn good uh, perimeter and uh, interior defense. And who can, uh, you know, occasionally knock down the three point shot. Now, I know that, uh, you know, just knocking down two of five, that doesn't sound uh, absurdly great or anything, but it's still 40 percent. And it is something that the defense does tend to have to respect his ability to knock them down. And for me, uh, having him out there, that just it, it just goes to show, right, what JB has at his disposal in terms of matchups and trying to use them correctly. Tom also says Niang and Struess, they are getting into form too. Yeah, Struess has kind of been in form from the jump, right? He had his he, he's had some games where he's had some some head scratchers in regards to uh, some of the three-point shooting where he hasn't knocked down a whole bunch of them. But even in nights where his shot isn't falling, Struess is 
like filling up the stat sheet. And he continues to fucking do that, right? He did it again tonight. 17 points, five rebounds, six assists, five of 10 from the field, four of eight from three point uh, line, and did have a steal out there. Like, goddamn, like we, we got one of the bargains of this offseason. Again, if you are still somebody out there looking at his contract and thinking to yourself, we overpaid, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, respectfully, because this dude, he's been uh, everything, you know, everything we bargained for and more. He's been as advertised. He is doing things that nobody quite uh, thought that he would be able to bring to the table upon acquiring him. I say this shit every single pod, but I mean, it just... It's being ingrained into my head because he continues to do it on a game-to-game basis. It's not like he's being inconsistent with it either. His effort level, his intensity, his consistency, it's there from game to game. He plays, uh, you know, I think I said this a couple of pods ago, but the intensity that that motherfucker plays with, I don't know if any other Cavalier has it. And that's like with Donovan Mitchell, that's with Darius Garland, that's that's with guys like Isaac Okora out there. I easily believe that Max Struess plays in an in, with an intensity that coming from that Miami system that maybe nobody has, nobody can match. Uh, Sven Reek, to kind of shift gears again, says best DG game this season, no doubt. Look, and any game where DG doesn't turn the ball over, and again, we're, we're not counting that eight-second violation in the first half against him. Uh, Bleacher Report didn't, so I'm not giving it to him. Um, anytime you can walk out of a game with DG scoring 20-plus and turn the ball over zero times, should be a win, right? And that's in addition to the playmaking out there. DG, man, some of the dimes that he threw tonight to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, oh my gosh. That that dude, when he is on, this Cavs team is a very tough team to stop. And there, you know, there's a large contingent of people out there that believe that when we run the offense through DG as opposed to uh to through Donovan Mitchell, that this team is in a better position. And there were definitely moments in tonight's game where you could clearly see, hey, DG should be the, you know, the, the leader of the pack here. And that's not to say that he isn't, but there are definitely games in which he concedes uh, that, that number one status to Donovan Mitchell, right? And sometimes justifiably so because Donovan, when he gets on one of his heaters, much like he was on tonight, um, you kind of just have to give him the ball and let him cook. <laughs> and it's been very rare in this past season and, can I say season and a half? No, not really. Season and a quarter. It's been very rare since this pairing has come together that both of them have performed, uh, you know, at an elite level in the same game. Just don't see it happen too often. And especially against a really good opponent like we did tonight against the Orlando Magic. So uh, this is just a performance tonight to me that if you can replicate this, uh, you know, more often than not over the course of this season, the Cavs are going to be in really good shape uh, because not only did those two have it going on, the pieces around them performed quite well tonight as well. Um, <clears throat> Evan Mobley, again, who we just spoke about, 16 points, five rebounds, eight to 12 from the field overall, had a pretty nice block tonight. Uh, and for me, Evan Mobley, the story remains the same. Like if you believe that he hasn't developed at all, I just don't quite know what to tell you. Some of what he has developed, some of the progression that he's made, it's not always going to show up in the stat sheet, especially from an offensive standpoint. 
But basically, Evan Mobley can sleepwalk his way to a, to, to, to a very efficient 16 points. That's basically the what I have arrived at with him. Is he taken or has he taken the uh, the step, the leap, the you know the fabled leap that everybody is wanting him to from an offensive standpoint? No, it hasn't necessarily happened. The ability to space the floor that hasn't happened, but he is playing more aggressive out there. He is starting to take more of those mid-range jumpers that we really feel like he could do a a, a ton more of. Um, Tom K says Mobley missed a few, a uh, few layups, but nice game too. Yeah. I mean, even in games where he's not totally lighting up the stat sheet with a ton of rebounds or putting up a ton of points, his impact on the game is clearly felt his work on Paolo in the first half, some damn good stuff, some damn good stuff. And as Tom also points down there, considering he had four or five fouls in the second half. Yeah. Whole damn team felt like they were in foul trouble. <laughs> Seriously, whole damn team. Uh, just just to kind of call it out real quick, Evan Mobley finished with five fouls. Max Struess finished with five fouls. Jared Allen finished with five fouls. Tristan Thompson even had a foul out there. George Niang, four fouls. Dean Wade, two fouls. A lot of fucking fouls out there. Ridiculous. Uh, and to that point, that just makes me feel like I should take a look at um, – Take a look at the free throw disparity overall. Cleveland shot 75% from the free throw line, which is higher than Orlando's 73%. But the thing that sticks out here, obviously, is the, the, the three free throw line disparity. Orlando took 37 total attempts to Cleveland's 20. Officiating continues to just amaze me this season. It's like, what the fuck are you guys doing out here? Some of these calls, they're questionable. Some of them are borderline. Some of them are clear non-fouls. I just don't get it. Cleveland just doesn't have a good whistle. Um, I'm going to stop harping on that too much because it just happens every damn game. Uh, Noah, Heritage sa- uh, Noah Heritage says, I feel like you can only have so much of an offensive jump when you're a third option on a team. I've loved what I've seen from him this season. You are absolutely 100% true. When Donovan Mitchell's taken over 20-plus shots per game and DG's taken like, I don't know, 17 or 18 uh, per game himself, what does that leave a player like Evan Mobley with? Maybe, you know, 11 to 12 shot attempts per game. I haven't looked at his actual free throw attempts uh, you know, that, that he's taken on the season in quite some time, but I can guarantee you right now, if I were to go check, it's not necessarily anything that is out of the ordinary for a third option. It's just the case. And that is perfectly fine. Evan Mobley is not going to be a guy that's going to re- get those touches over either of those two right now. And that's okay. Yeah. Just looking at his third year stats, he's taken 11 point eight field goal attempts per game that's completely normal for a third option completely normal i i you know i can't really speak to anything else out there tune in ask what happened with Allen? i saw him walk off the court i didn't get a thorough explanation of why he walked off the court he did finish the the game with five fouls i don't know if it was frustration i don't know if it was um i don't know if it was an injury but on the night he only played 19 minutes not not sure. Maybe you guys can clarify that in the comments for me if you're watching JB's post game or any of the other post game interviews. Um, but I don't know. I'm not certain, so I can't really answer that. Tom K says JB challenged twice and won both, though. Progress. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, yes, one of the biggest knocks on JB is knowing when and when not to challenge calls. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. 
uh, for me, it's just like as much as we we harp on foul calls here and times when JB should challenge certain situations, it's a slippery slope. It's it's a tough thing to do. If he if he calls the challenge and he loses it, then people are fucking pissed off at him. JB, why did you why did you challenge that? You shouldn't have challenged that. When JB challenges something and he wins it, you're you're a hero. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's a gift and a curse. So I'm glad that it worked out in his favor tonight. Um, Sven Reek Gaming says, I thought he had six fouls. I don't know. Sometimes when you're looking at the box uh, box score stats for some of these games, um, it's not always giving you the correct numbers yet because Bleacher Report lists his personal fouls at five. And I don't think he I don't think he fouled out. I think he just exited. So but if somebody can provide clarity to me for that, I'd love to hear it. Talking and Grubbing Media says the Cavs don't have the respect of the league or the ref, so that's what uh, that's why they get and don't get the calls. Yeah, I mean, it's a valid point. I get it, but a 17 free throw difference here—that's insane to me. Orlando taking 37, Cleveland taking 20, uh, just just crazy, and it, that continues to feel like a, a a common occurrence. I don't know, insane. When I look up and down this roster, though, when these guys can continue to put, if they can rather continue to put uh, solid efforts together in these same games, this is a team that is, I'm not going to say damn near unbeatable, but it's a very tough team to beat. When you have all of these guys playing very well out there, and that includes some of the reserves, right, who I haven't kind of talked about a lot tonight, and people like George Niang, who has been shooting very, very fucking good since, uh, you know, over these last couple of games. I, I had the stats pulled up here. I'm going to take some time to pull them up. But George Niang, coming into this season, I think many people, you know, they were expecting a certain level of play from him considering he had entered the year fresh off of five straight seasons in which he'd shot 40-plus 40, uh, 40 percent or better from three-point range, and he got off to an atrocious start. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He got off to an atrocious start to begin the season. But as of late, the motherfucker has turned things on. Like when you when you really look at what he's been able to do over his last 10 games, which does include tonight, he's given the Cavs 10.7 points, 4.4 rebounds, which is, you know, I continue to say and speak about the rebounds for him. That is a career high from him, if I'm not mistaken. But over his last 10 games overall, Niang is shooting 48.2% from the field and 42.2% from three-point distance on pretty decent volume, about four and a half uh, attempts per game. Definitely worth the money that we paid him for. And, you know, at, at a certain point, I was starting to question whether or not, you know, playing him was uh, – was really helping the Cavs because it really felt to be really, really kind of felt like a detriment to the Cavs to have his minutes out there at certain times because the shot just was not falling and he's not a no defender or anything like that. But now that it is falling, he's looking pretty damn good out there. Uh, Overall on the season, due to that atrocious start, he's just at 34.8%, but it's, it's steadily rising steadily rising and i make no mistake i really honestly feel like that is going to be the case all season i would not be surprised at all uh by the end of the season if he is averaging near 40 percent 
due to that start, he may not get there just because the volume is not going to be there all the time, depending upon the minutes that he's given. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he got close to it, somewhere around 38, 39%. That 40, that 40 plus percent or better streak might end. But as long as the dude is shooting like 37, 38% on really good volume, I'll take it, especially off that Cavalier bench where you clearly needed to produce, uh, reproduce some of the production that Kevin Love vacated upon his departure, uh, you know, in the buyout market last season. Uh, Dwayne Lowry says they call him the minivan for a reason. Takes a while for him to get started. I love that. I uh, created a video about Niang the other day, and I think somebody said something along the same lines. Yeah, just took him a minute to get going. But now that he is, now that the Cavs are kind of returning to a semblance of full strength, Niang is is looked at home. Um, just getting a high minute total out there. From game to game, it's it's not uncommon to see him play anywhere between 24 to 28 minutes, um, but justifiably so for this Cavs team. And JB, for what it's worth, um, he continues to go with kind of like these shorter rotations. So Niang is always going to get a high amount of minutes. But one of the things in speaking to that that I kind of liked tonight was the fact that he gave Tristan Thompson some run out there. And yes, some of that was by necessity because Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, uh, you know, even Niang to a degree, um, were experiencing some foul trouble. So you kind of had no other option but to turn to Tristan Thompson. But in those minutes, as Double T has continued to do in his spot appearance, he goes out there and he's impactful right away. He had a very nice block on Paolo Benchero today. Uh, Love it. Absolutely love it. He's he's one of those guys that in small doses can give you, as Tom K says down here, some edge and some attitude. Yeah. You see Niang out there chirping at guys, you know, talking to the revs, getting technical fouls, things of that nature. Not just not taking shit. Those two guys, they're not gonna take any shit. And the Cavs kind of needed that, right? They after trying to beat those soft allegations after that New York Knicks series, that's that's a tough thing to do, right? Once the once the league or players around the league or fans around the league have branded you soft, that's a tough notion to dismiss. It's it's honestly something that I'm sure was very frustrating and a point of emphasis coming into this season is to kind of prove that the Cavs can be physical with teams. They can get gritty. They can play with an attitude. They can play with an edge. And I think bringing in a player like Niang, that's an underrated component of what he brings to the table. Like it's not just the spacing. It's not just the simple fact that the guy can knock down three point shots. It's the fact that he will go out there and let you know about it too. He'll chirp at you. And the Cavs needed that. And then with Tristan Thompson, um, he not only adds, depth at the four, uh, at the five but he also adds some attitude and edge out there something the Cavs, bigs and evan mobley and jared allen just do not innately seem to have so i love those additions um tune in sports says just gotta accept not seeing cpj i guess especially when levert comes back it is what it is um it's tough man and i for me as much as we want the undrafted talent that is Craig Porter Jr. to shine early on in this season, it still makes sense to bring him along slowly when the team is at full strength. It's good to know that you can turn to him uh, in, in times of need, but you're ha- you have to play your best players out there 
Uh, and sometimes one of the, I think I heard JB say this the other day too, in reference to not playing like too small, and especially on a team that already features a backcourt that's undersized. You don't want to really play three guard lineups more than you have to. And when you have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell healthy, when you have Karis LeVert healthy, you're probably not going to elect to have any one of those guys be bumped out of the rotation, obviously, or to concede minutes to an undrafted rookie. It's just not going to happen, especially if you factor in the fact that Isaac Okoro is also uh, also playing pretty well uh, and he is going to get minutes at the two guard in three uh, three as well. And that's not even that's not even mentioning Max Struess's time out there, who in some lineups will see minutes as as a two. So putting Craig out there, it, it's a tall order. It's not something that I feel like fans should beat JB up about, but I do understand like when wanting him to get out there. And for him, similar to Imani Bates, what's got to happen is you just got to take advantage of the opportunities when they come your way. And Craig, for the most part, has done that. He's done that. The only part of Craig's game that I feel like is not necessarily a uh, – not necessarily something that is above the level of concern is his three-point shooting, like the the perimeter shot. We've seen a semblance of it. We've seen him unafraid to take it, but it's not coming with enough volume to make you feel confident that he can offset what some of these other guys bring to the table. So that's just kind of where I'm at with Craig. Like it was, it's a nice storyline to open the season. An undrafted talent comes in right away and uh, looks like a top ten pick. And he still very well might end up uh, appearing in a good number of games for the Cavaliers. But uh, one thing to also take into consideration is you kind of have to be strategic with what you're doing with his games. Because as we all know, two-way players are only allowed to appear in 50 NBA-level games before you have to make a decision on them. So they have to kind of be smart in how they're doing that. Um and that's really all that I can say about Craig. I I really and truly hope that he gets more and more opportunities as the season goes on. But just looking at, at JB's eight to nine man rotation, I just don't see a place for him. If he's going to see minutes, it would have to be because of an injury or it will be because JB expands the rotation to 10 or 11 deep, which we know history suggests is just not going to happen. No matter how much pressure we put on him, right? At the end of the day, it's going to be your starting five, and it'll be some variation of Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, George Niang. Uh, and then that ninth man is a toss-up, depending upon what you need. It could be Dean Wade. It could be Tristan Thompson. Uh, you know, it, it could be Craig Porter Jr. On, and this is all crazy to me, considering that we were really thinking that Ty Jerome was going to factor in here somewhere, but we just you haven't seen him because he's been injured. So, yeah, that's the only real scenarios we'll probably likely see Craig Porter Jr. in short of wanting to just get the starters some rest. And I think overall, this is a great win. Again, they will play Orlando a second time or in in about four or five days, right? (laughs) Exactly. Tom K says, Ty who? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, tune in sports says Ty Jerome still on vacation. Yeah. He's still in the off season, right? Or still in the preseason. I think that's the last time we saw him. Did we see him? Did we see him against Brooklyn? I can't remember. I don't know. Been a while already, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's feels like it's been that long and 
uh, circling back to what I was saying, Cleveland will take on Orlando in a very short period of time. Uh, just kind of feels like this was a, a win that they can build off of, right? Especially going into a matchup against the Miami Heat uh, on Friday. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to both of these. Hopefully we have Karis LeVert back by then, but I don't know, man. I don't know. Miami, they traditionally play Cleveland very well, so I'm very much looking forward to both of these upcoming matchups. This rematch against Orlando and this matchup on Friday against Miami. And my voice is going out, so it's probably a good time to call it a night. Thanks, guys, for joining me. As always, tell you if you'd like to reach out to me, you can on It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night.